0: Hello and welcome to The Postscript. I've kind of been uh, doing a bit of film research for the podcast, looking for animated feature films that might fit for unpleasant movies. And it's really not been easy. I've been Googling a lot. I've been going on Reddit and asking for recommendations and stuff. And I've really been hard-pressed to find films, I think is really valuable for us to talk about.
1: Yeah, there aren't that many, like, directly unpleasant animated projects of feature length. It is difficult to find them. Yeah,
0: I mean, there's one film that I I considered, which could be interesting, but I feel like other films we have talked about and are going to talk about also do a good job of the same thematic subject matter. It's a film called um, When the Wind Blows, and it's a British... Hand-drawn animated film. It's quite interestingly made. It's sets are uh, stop-motion, like miniature sets. It's um, an adaptation of Raymond Briggs, who you may know. Do you know the Snowman? Do you remember these beautiful kids animation short about a, a young boy wakes up on Christmas morning and uh, he's built a snowman and he he, f- he flies to the North Pole with uh, Father Christmas. And uh, uh, no,
1: this doesn't have Bell.
0: It's maybe quite you know English specific, but is uh, that like the
1: know. prequel to the Polar Express? <laughs> and no,
0: it's very different. It's this quite, you know, poetic children's kind of melancholic as well, very wonderful uh, in its execution. Anyway, it's the same director who adapted that, also adapted uh, When the Wind Blows, and it's about this older couple, pensioners, in rural England, and uh, there's a Cold War and the atomic bomb is dropped. And it's kind of them preparing for an atomic bomb because they know it's going to happen. And it's like the aftermath of what happens. And they're very naive, almost childlike in their approach. They're forgetful. They kind of forget that they shouldn't go out into the fallout zone after the bomb's been dropped and stuff. It's it's, it's a pretty good movie. Don't forget that. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you see the consequence Just... of that. And they have kind of like stubbornness about, like particularly... The wife, she doesn't want to give up her creature comforts for living in a shelter part of the house. And and they have kind of this pretty striking body transformation being... You know, chubby healthy old couple to being, you know, these thin, spotty bodies, very clearly, you know, the nuclear disease.
1: It's a good film, definitely. I like that dilemma, though. I think I've talked about this earlier Mm. on the podcast, but um, it reminds me of the sort of dilemma of survival. And Mm. I've talked about Naked and Afraid before Mm. on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just some of the choices people make when they're in a survival situation that seem... Like, they make bad choices because it's more comfortable at the time. Mm. Like, uh, in Naked and Afraid, they, they will often drink water without sterilizing it first mm. or boiling it. And inevitably, they get some infection and have yeah. to be fucking helicoptered out of there. And um, it also reminds me of the RimWorld games I've been <laughs> playing, where, where you, you make simple choices that seem comfortable and easy at the time just because you don't want to do the extra work. Yeah. And it comes back to haunt you. And when you're in the survival situation, that is not good. That has drastic consequences, so I like that sort of element. But I was thinking uh, of an animation movie that might be kind of unpleasant. Did you ever watch Jinro? The Wolf Brigade. It Sounds familiar. It's a 1999 animated feature-length movie directed by Hiroyuki Okiura, who is a pretty good animator. It's been a while since I watched it, but I seem to recall that one being pretty brutal.
0: This is a film I haven't seen. I'm familiar with the title.
1: Yeah, I think the director worked on uh, Ghost in the Shell, among other things, right. as uh, animation supervisor and stuff. He's a really good animator. And I think he worked on Cabo Bebop, the movie, too. Yeah. Cool. So a lot of like really good stuff under his belt. I think Jinro was his like, directorial debut and uh, it is incredibly well animated that's one of the things i really remember about it it's just mm. so well animated and a lot of uh, really brutal action sequences and suffering but it's been years and years since i saw it but i thought maybe
0: well i've been looking into like the japanese scene closer because that is is one of the places where they're often willing to push the boundaries a bit a lot of it tends towards quite an adolescent sensibility
1: oh yeah this does not have that it's much more grounded in a way that a lot of anime movies really are not. So well, this is very adult movie. Yeah. Well, maybe we we'll consider it. I'll
0: yeah. Check it out. And- I saw a film called um, *Wicked City*, which is. If you remember? Like, there's this part of Japanese animation, like late '80s, early '90s, like *Legend of the Horror Fiend, *Wicked City*, some of the GenoCyber stuff.
1: I think I saw *Wicked City*.
0: It's very. Back in the day. It's, it's very stylish. Yeah. Like the way they emulate. Filmatic lighting and camera angles it's like kind of a hyper filmatic sensibility and also the sound work and stuff is it's really cool it tends to be the stories of these films is like the demon world and the human world every ten thousand years they're gonna merge and you have to have a band of you know half demon half human people to save the world from merging with demon world and demons eating the sounds uh, like an anime. yeah and uh, <laughs> there's going to be some you know monsters tentacle raping some women and some gratuitous stuff and the kind of unpleasant in the imagery the pretty like too cool for school there's elements in, in those films that i quite like like i said it's very stylish and made but it's it has a very adolescent sensibility right and it's not that interesting to reflect upon in a sense maybe as a cultural trope I think.
1: Just not really worth a full discussion or treatment of.
0: Well, I don't think it fits too well into what we're discussing, at least. Right. And uh, yeah, yeah I've, I've been checking out some other stuff, some pretty cool and interesting stuff. But um, I saw this Korean animation film called The King of Pigs, which I was considering. And it has a lot to do with, you know, kids ruling each other. It's quite violent it's pretty well made i mean i think it's pretty fucking clear that they've had two animation studios working on this film where one is doing 2d animation that stuff's good and then the other animation (laughs) studio they use these 3d models with the art style of the 2d animation just passed on top of that and it's usually just walking scenes and you know it's a budget thing they're saving money i get it but the 3d animation is so stiff
1: honestly Uh, like budget is never a reason for doing stuff badly. You can find ways to circumvent it, like we talked about in The Plague Dogs. I think so. Unfortunately, it it is a trend in a lot of modern anime. They use a lot of very cheap-looking 3D uh, animation, and it just looks garbage.
0: The problem is that the animation is so stiff on the 3D stuff. I don't mind them using 3D, essentially. No, no, I agree, but uh, but
1: I I would say it's often the main issue with Mm. using... Especially like budget 3D animation. It looks incredibly stiff and just bad.
0: And they're using it in the images that are kind of boring. It's just a person going from one place to another. So they're kind of like the less interesting stuff. I kind of get the impulse. It's just not really. But, you know, it's pretty good movie. Again, I find it a bit, you know, the way it relates to violence reminds me a little bit of Fight Club or Old Boy. There's yeah, something kind of a bit uh, self-congratulatory. A bit pulpy. Well, I don't mind pulp, but I just think... You know, it kind of criticizes violence by also glorifying
1: violence. In a hypocritical way or just like...
0: Well, just non-critically, I think. Yeah, thoughtlessly. As I said, it's not to say that I didn't enjoy it. But yeah, I'm still on the lookout for, you know, any tips people might have of animated films that are unpleasant and thought-provoking. You know, I'm searching. But yeah, maybe this will forget. Uh, Did you see Perfect Blue? I have, yeah. Yeah, and it's a it's a good film, good director. To me, it's more like a thriller. It has some intense imagery. I wouldn't say it's unpleasant as such.
1: Well, it's it's very much in the genre of thriller, and so yeah. it. But it's like, quite unpleasant as thrillers go. But I think it's it's a very good one. But it might not be exactly like what we're discussing. Well, but I mean, well worth watching.
0: I think you could compare it to something like Seven, maybe, which also has unpleasant imagery. Think- I don't mean like stylistically. I just mean like in terms of a thriller. That has unpleasantness about it, but like the core of it isn't. There's not so much thematically interesting to dissect in terms of how it relates to unpleasantness. If you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. But I, as I recall, I think Perfect Blue had a lot more meat on its bones than Seven did yeah. in in that regard. Yeah. There there is some interesting, I, as I recall, some interesting stuff about like celebrity and yeah. people like uh, you know, stuff like that. I agree. It's uh, a good film. Parasocial relationships mm. and stuff like that, but. I think the same director uh, directed Paprika. Yeah, that's true. So that's also a really interesting movie. Kind of flawed in a couple of ways, but really cool and beautifully animated. He did some very interesting stuff before he... I think he died quite young. Why do a lot of great anime directors die so fucking young? It's sad. It's Satoshi
0: Kon. He is kind of one of the seminal auteur yeah, i he, guess he, he was one Japanese of those animators.
1: 90s 2000s uh, anime movie auteurs for sure for sure
0: tokyo godfathers and millennium actress somehow i never quite clicked with these films i like them you know i like the impulse and his perspective but I was never totally consumed by his, uh, his thing, I guess. No, no,
1: I, I agree. And I feel the same, actually. But they're just, they're really well made and mm. very well animated. Definitely. And just really nice to watch. And they might not be like my thing thing, precisely, mm. but uh, like probably you feel too, but mm. I, they're just really, really entertaining and yeah. well worth yeah. watching. And like,
0: conceptually quite interesting as yeah, well. Uh, Millennium Actress. And- totally.
1: Yeah, I might actually be conflating Millennium Actress and uh, Perfect Blue, but either way, so I recall all of those movies are, are great in their own right. And there are a lot of really good and adult anime movies out there. Unfortunately, there is a lot of draws that you sort of have to sort through, but that goes with looking for any kind of movie.
0: There is a um, director... That I understand a little bit of his stuff. He's one of these guys I'm I'm really interested in getting into. He's called Mamuro Hosada. He has this film called Wolf Children. Yeah, I saw that one. Which I that, think is good. I think it's really beautiful. It's got some of the humanity, I think, of Takahata. It's very subtle in it's the way it deals with, you know, family and relationships and, uh, you know, uses fantastical imagery with, you know, werewolf uh, humans yeah. and a kind of a mixed race. Uh, yeah,
1: I like that uh, movie. It had a quite like human element to it. So very genuine in a yeah. way. I think he's sort of one of the sort of next generation of anime movie auteurs since, since sort of the previous generation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Summer Wars and uh, Girl Who Lived Through Time.
1: Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. I really like Girl Who Lived Through Time, actually. Mm. I thought it was a really heartwarming movie. And uh, Summer Wars is pretty good, too. Like, they're mm. very entertaining, mm. but there's not that much to, like, mm. delve into in terms of like a, a movie discussion or maybe maybe i'm just taking it a bit lightly. maybe mm. there is but i remember liking them anyway
0: yeah yeah i haven't seen those two uh, so i'm looking forward to when i get around to it
1: they have a lot of heart like yeah. they're really like genuine he's a genuine movie here
0: mm. there's one animated film I'd, I'd intended to check out before this recording which i didn't get around to which might be interesting it's a 1992 film called midori which i think means green in Japanese. Which is, I think is this surrealistic, weird, creepy, might be interesting, I don't know.
1: Midori. Yeah. Midori.
0: I, I saw some of it. It looked quite weird and interesting, yeah.
1: Is it like a, a full movie or? Yeah.
0: yeah. It's a feature. Yeah, we'll we'll see see how it goes. Animation is such an interesting field. There's so much potential. Uh, I'd like to see more guts in a figurative sense <laughs> in terms of what kind of productions are made.
1: Yeah. And I think probably there's a lot of good stuff that probably goes a bit unnoticed.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think people are more open to this stuff than, you know, it's like a perception thing. Like, what is animation supposed to be like? As long as you have a, a conception that they're basically for kids. You yeah,
1: know. I don't think it's healthy to be condescending towards your conception of your audience and, and sort of think that people won't get it. Mm-hmm. I think usually you'll find that people will understand it a lot more than you think they will. And, uh, yeah, I feel like there are a lot of people who just choose to take a bit safer path, I guess, Mm. with animation movies. It's a shame. Mm. But we'll see.
0: Yeah, we will see. Did you get around to trying out Disco Elysium, by the way?
1: Uh, No, I've been too busy with World.
0: Because they released the final cut, which is the full version. So I I picked it up again and started playing it.
1: I heard they banned it in Australia. (laughs) Yeah, that's something thing there. (laughs) Because of drugs.
0: Yeah, that's pretty funny.
1: That's uh, incredibly just sad. I mean, it's funny, but sad that people still do that shit in this day and age.
0: It seems a bit regressive. I mean, I can't imagine it'll last for a very long time. That ban it doesn't make much sense to me. But for some people, I guess it would, I don't know, strange. Anyway, I just wanted to give another shout-out to, to Disco Elysium because voice work, it's so fucking good. And some minor changes to the new version. Yeah, they uh,
1: changed a couple of the voice actors, actually.
0: Well, I talked about this game previously on the podcast. The thing that I really loved was Kuno, who's this little yeah, they changed shithead. Him. And uh, he's gone from being like this hateful little shithead to being an annoying brat. And, you know, he is still pretty good but it was something so transcendent about that voice work which you almost never get in games and in you know films so i think that's sad I, i'm well, hoping at that- first i
1: understand that he wasn't an actual actor a lot of the stuff they changed were people who were amateurs so they wanted professional people to do it mm-hmm. and i guess that may be why it sounds a bit more well
0: i hope that there will at some point they just just in something though you can pick and choose a bit they do have some things like you can decide how much of the voiceover you want because it's a balancing thing. Yeah, a lot of the new characters that are voiced, you know, the, I think the beautiful cast it's so well acted. And the game is so funny. It's so well written and so well voice acted. The first time I played it kind of altruistically, I kind of played him as a guy who's wanting to Good make guy. his life better and redeem himself and stuff. Now I'm playing him as this fascist arsehole. <laughs> He's just internalised uh, what they in the game call advanced race theory. Oh, God. And um, <laughs> you have these different skills that you can focus on. You've got like your psyche or your physics or your motrix. Or, and then you can pick one skill and this time I picked something called Half Light, which is a darker part of your psyche. And the one you pick kind of has a, a, a stronger presence in the narration of the game. So I didn't see so much of that side when I played it before and I'm playing it now. So It has this really nice playability and it's so funny. Some of the, the new interactions I'm having and some of the new anglings. Because, you know, the situations are more or less the same. It's just that the angles are kind of changed around a bit. And, um, yeah, it's uniquely good. And the people that I, I have managed to convert to play it. They're...
1: Yeah, it seems pretty universally acclaimed. There's actually a thing I've been thinking about is... It was more common earlier, than I think, to have more replayability in single-player games. And nowadays, it's usually more of a, like, a more samey affair. But, like, if you think back to, like, the original Fallouts and and Planescape Torment and stuff like that, like, you could have a completely different experience if you just chose a bit differently, like, the way you built your character or whatever. And that's so enjoyable. And you don't see it as often these days, especially in, like, major games. You can see it in minor, like... Indie games and stuff.
0: You had this period where you could choose to be either bad, good, good or
1: bad. Yeah, Mass massive goods, effect, uh, uh, Mass Effect and bullshit. Fables and
0: stuff. No, I kind of thought that stuff was fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's such
1: a binary choice yeah. that it feels like. It's very binary. And a lot of the times in Fallout 4, for instance, which was incredibly regressive in how it handled the role playing aspects of Fallout, it mm-hmm. was like, "Will you do this thing for me?" Yes. No. No, but angrily. No, but rudely. Like it, it was just it was the same choice. You just uh, it didn't really have an impact. You just chose a different way of, like, saying the line. And uh, that's not really role-playing. It's just, just sad.
0: Yeah, and this game definitely harkens in terms of humor and some of the impulses towards, like, Fallout and kind of the playfulness of those isometric CRPG games. But it just does all of that stuff better. Yeah. It does it better than all. It's better written. It's more nuanced. It's more playful.
1: Nice. Well, it's fucking high on my wish list, Steam wish list yeah. for sure. Yeah. But speaking of a sort of tangentially related thing, is is there anything sadder than when a voice actor you likes gets switched out with someone else that really doesn't work? Uh, well, it's so you know, fucking annoying.
0: It's sad. I mean, in in this case, you know, it's still good. Yeah. And there's a similar thing recently with Demon Souls remake. Which you know you you can't say that's not an amazing remake, but you know tonally it's it's not this bleak, desperate, sad, melancholy as the original. Stylistically, they've gone for something more slick, and it still has some of that. I'm not saying it's changed completely, but it's just like colours have, have a bit more pop to them, if you know what I mean. And there's this yeah. character that I really liked called Stockpile Thomas. He's just the guy who who takes care of your shits. He, he's that kind be of your, your
1: nickname, by the way.
0: Well, maybe it will be someday. (laughs) And he's just like the chest, you know, where you can put your stuff. And he has this line, he says, when you say goodbye, he says, uh, you have a heart of gold, don't let them take it from you. That line is still in the game, but the delivery of the old version was so sad, poetic and bleak. And now it's kind of bland. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that it's not still an amazing game. It's just...
1: uh, It's not quite the same.
0: Yeah, I'm a bit sad when those things change. Because the tonality of the old Demon's Souls was perfect for me, I think. Yeah,
1: especially with like Dark Souls and Demon's Souls, those Souls games, yeah. the voice acting is quite central to mm. the aesthetic of the game.
0: I love the bleakness of it.
1: Yeah, right. It's like when you sort of change something so integral to it. Mm. Um, one of the voice changes I hate the most in games mm. is the Thief series. We have oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> S- Stephen Russell voices uh, Garrett in the original mm. 1, 2, and 3 he does such a great job like that's an iconic role he's a, such an important part of the franchise is mm. his character and, and his delivery of the lines in this incredibly just sardonic yeah. and uh, and uh, iconic way and then for the fourth game or the reboot or uh, they just used a new guy and he, it was just so soulless mm. like what what is this game anymore and of course they changed the gameplay completely to mm-hmm. it it's just a decent stealth game that has nothing to do with the original Thieves series really yeah. and uh a horrible thief game hmm. and they changed like as just the crowning achievement of just pissing on the grave of the franchise they switched out the thing that really made the main hmm. character so good and uh, it, it just bothers the fuck out of me <laughs> so yeah it's okay to switch things up but don't change like a really good winning recipe for something
0: yeah i mean what if it had been a different character right why does it have to be Garrett's right
1: that's you, the thing you could just have made a different character
0: i like variations and adaptations i think there's a lot of interesting things going on there and instead but, of just
1: making the same thing again but just knowing you won't reach the mm, same level of quality mm, i mean that's just like i get it from an executive standpoint you want to do what sells right mm, so that's a suit that's the choice you're going to make. But, as but a, you don't as understand creative, your audience there, right? Yeah.
0: And you're not going to win if you don't understand your audience. Again,
1: it's the same thing with like you underestimate the audience and you mm. think they won't notice even mm. or they'll just go for the same thing over and over again, just mm. repacked differently. Mm. But that's condescending and it's, uh, it's not creatively interesting. And mm. Let's just leave it at that. I think that's it for uh, this time for us. We've had a nice talk about
0: different things.
1: Yes, as we often do.
0: Well, dear listener, thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, please send us an email at unpleasantmovies at protonmail.com. You check out our Instagram, or you can check out our list on Mubi, where we have recommendations for other films. Lots of stuff there to check out. The music for this episode was made by Umulium. That's Svijra Ogor and you, scanning. And you've been Thomas Simonson Bobra. <laughs> That's right. So, bye bye. Goodbye.